0: This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona.
1: David speaks about the fact that God is his hiding place. God is the one who preserves him from trouble and surrounds him with songs of deliverance. When Jesus promised peace, Unlike what the world could give, he made a promise that only he could keep. And beloved, he is more than able to complete that promise in your life for true peace.
0: Today, Pastor David reminds us that peace isn't an absence of trouble. Instead, it's a promise from God to all who know him personally. If our relationship with Jesus grows, our focus begins to shift, making the world and its problems Become less while Christ and His promises become more. This prepares us for when trouble comes so we can stand firm with quiet confidence in the midst of chaos. Let's remember that God is our hiding place, preserving us from trouble, surrounding us with His deliverance. Now, here's Pastor David in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 7, with our continuing study entitled The Promise of Peace.
1: The New York Times once said that peace is a fable. The fact is, is if you look around in the world on the world's terms and in humanity's terms, you'd have to agree with it. But the biblical view is so different. The biblical view looks at peace in an entirely different way. It recognizes that peace isn't an absence of trouble. Peace isn't a cessation of war or violence. As a matter of fact, Over and over and over again, the biblical peace, we see it's totally unrelated to the circumstances that we're currently in. And over and over again, the Bible confirms the fact that we are a world that is filled with trouble and will continue to be filled with trouble until the very time that God calls a halt to all of it. And yet, as we read this morning, peace is a promise of God. Peace is a promise of God to all those that know him. Peace, true, everlasting peace. Jesus declared that he had come to give that kind of peace. Even the night that he was betrayed, and if you think about the intensity of this, we read about it in John's Gospel, in John 14, but we read where Jesus is there with the disciples, knowing who's going to betray him, knowing that in just a few short hours, he was going to be arrested, tried and executed he knew that in just a few short hours these disciples who weren't totally focused on what was going on would be thrown into absolute chaos of life because everything that they left three years ago to go and follow now is going to be executed their life is going to be an absolute turmoil. And yet in John 14 in verse 27, Jesus tells these very same disciples that he knows in just a few short hours, their world is going to fall apart. The bottom is going to be pulled out from underneath them. And he tells them, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, how could that be? How was it going to be that in the midst of everything that was going on, that they could have peace? How in the midst of everything that's going on in our life today, you and I can really have peace? And some of your lives, I know, is in a whirlpool. It's like somebody has taken your very life and thrown it in the blender, and they didn't just turn it on two or three. No, they put it on 15, okay? And that's the way your life feels right now. For some of you, Maybe life is fairly calm right now, but next week the blender is coming out, and you don't even know it yet. Well, I believe that before we can completely obtain the type of peace that Jesus is speaking about, first of all, we need to understand what true peace is. What is true peace? According to the Word of God, as our relationship with Jesus Christ grows, Our focus on the things of this world and our place in it begins to change. And as I grow in Christ, as I mature in Christ, the world will become less, Christ becomes more. Our desires and our pursuits in life begin to change. Before we came to Christ, our lives were most often controlled by circumstances, the things that went on around us. That's what controlled our lives. We were like the proverbial pinball machine. We were the little silver ball that was bouncing around from circumstances and issues. Oh, we knew where we wanted to go or we thought we knew where we wanted to go, but the circumstances of life bounces here and there all over the place. But when we come to Christ, we come to understand and we begin to grow in the greatness of who God is, the greatness of the reality of his sovereignty in our life, and we should come to that point of being able to rest wholly and completely in his care and in the power of his presence in our lives so that when literally all hell breaks loose within our lives, there is a stability that we can stand. There is a hope that we can hold on to. There's a promise that remains firm in our life. That biblical definition of peace, for me, it's a quiet confidence in the midst of chaos. A confidence of knowing that our God reigns. It's having that knowledge that in the midst of our suffering, that our God was not only acquainted with our sorrows... But he bore the greatest of our grief. He carried the heaviest of our sorrows. Isaiah speaks to us in chapter 53, where he says in verse 5, it says that he, speaking of Jesus, he allowed himself to be wounded for our transgressions. He opened himself up to be bruised for our iniquities. He permitted the chastisement of our peace to come upon him and by his stripes were healed. But you see, when we're outside of relationship with Christ, the sad thing is, for those who don't know Christ, unknown to them at this present time, is that their greatest grief, their greatest sorrow, isn't something that they can see or feel right now at this point in time. The greatest grief, the greatest sorrow that they have, most of them are unknowledgeable of the fact, is that eternity is standing before them, and eternity, separated from God, with an eternal punishment for their sin. And you see, most who don't know Christ don't even know the greatest of the grief that's set before them. And yet, when we come by faith to Christ, we recognize not only the greatness of our sin, but we recognize the immensity of God's gift toward us. When we come with a heart of repentance and a desire to give our lives to to christ to receive that gift of forgiveness then the word says that we become new creatures in christ a new creation the old things are passed away our lives change and we begin on a journey of faith a journey that's fueled by the holy spirit of god a journey that's been demonstrated to us by generations and generations of believers before us in the book of hebrews turn there with me if you would in hebrews chapter 12 The word tells us there that there has been a generation, well, multiple generations that have gone before us. Chapter 11 of Hebrews attests to that. But in chapter 12 of Hebrews, in verse 1, he says, Therefore, we also, since we are what? Surrounded by so great a cloud, of witness. That cloud of witness is those generations of believers who have gone on before us. And if you're familiar with chapter 11, you know it was those who have left family and homes in search of where God was calling them. They were willing to forsake the events and the pleasures of this present world in order to obtain the pleasure of God in their lives. They were the ones that, because of their commitment to the things of God, lost their very lives, lost their possessions in this time frame and in this land. Why? Because they knew that they were just pilgrims here. And they're that great cloud of witness that's there. And because that cloud of witness has gone before us, the writer of Hebrews says, now what you and I need to do is we need to lay aside every weight And sin, which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance that race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He goes on to say, we too need to consider him. We need to consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. When I read those words, weary and discouraged in our souls, I think of a believer who's lost their peace. They no longer have peace in the midst of the chaos. And in the midst of the hecticness, suddenly their eyes have been taken off of looking unto Jesus, and they start looking at the circumstances that surround them. And in looking at the circumstances that surround them, they have become weary, they become discouraged in their souls. And the word says that you and I need to keep our eyes on Jesus. It's because he kept his eyes on Jesus that the Apostle Paul, along with Silas, there in that city of Philippi, as they were proclaiming the message and the hope of the gospel, when they were arrested for, again, the turmoil that the preaching of the gospel caused in that city, they were thrown not just in jail, but no, they were thrown into the inner places of that jail. You might consider that into the very dungeon, the very darkest of the pit of that Roman jail. And as they were thrown into that jail, their feet were shackled, and in the darkness... Paul and Silas began to sing. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Is that what they did? If you're familiar with your word, no, what they began to do is to praise and glorify the Lord Jesus. They had a praise service in the pit of a jail with their feet shackled with no idea what tomorrow was going to bring. I wish I could say that I know that if that happened to me, that's exactly what I would do. But praise God, I've never been thrown in jail because of the gospel. I've never had my feet shackled because I dared proclaim the name of Jesus. Paul and Silas, that was a real deal for them. Because they had inner peace that wasn't controlled by their circumstances, they were able to worship and praise God even in the pit of a jail. That's why Paul would write later to the church of Philippi. He says, I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. That's inner peace. That's the peace that Jesus desires to bring into the life of every believer. In whatever situation you find yourself in. And again, if you know the story of Paul, you realize he has gone through it. He's been imprisoned. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been left to die after they've stoned him over and over and over again. This man has gone through so much, but yet he writes and he says, "But you know what? I've learned that when I abound or when I'm abased, when I have, when I don't have, when I'm cold and dark or in the brightest of days, whether my life is in peril or whether things are going good, to be content." Guys, that's inner peace. That's the solidity of life that is able to bear through all the hecticness, all the stress, all the pain that this life does bring. Don't tell me this morning, well, my life has no stress. My life has no pain. My life has just been absolutely wonderful since the day I was born. Never even cried as a baby. I'll say it's time to open your eyes, open your ears, get into the real life. Life comes about and hits every one of us. The thing is, is where do we stand in Christ in the midst of these things? That's why as part of our growing relationship with Christ, James reminds us, he says, Consider it all what joy, Joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That doesn't compute in the world system. That just does not make sense in the economy of the world, that when you go through trials, that you would just consider it joy. But you know what? In God's economy, it does. Because in God's economy, you and I aren't to be basing our life on the circumstances that surround us. There's going to be a multitude of trials that come our way. And yet, for the child of God, we can have that kind of peace in the midst of the trial. But you know what? You and I both know that more often than not, that kind of peace doesn't come instantly. A trial will hit even the most mature believer, and they will be rocked if that trial is hard enough and deep enough. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll say, yes, I trust in God, but my world is kind of rocking right now, and I'm not really sure. I know that God is there. I know that God is in control, but I'm just kind of struggling right now. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll say, yeah, those things have happened. As a matter of fact, we read that those things happen all through the Bible, Old Testament and New. So why is it that believers would come into a point and place of trials in their lives and not have peace, when we're called to have peace? I believe there's a couple of reasons, and I want to give them to you very quickly. Number one, sometimes we are placed in trials that go longer than we, we anticipate them. They grow deeper than we could have ever imagined them. Why? Because God himself has placed us in a place of testing, a place of refining a place that says you need to be strengthened in your spirit because right now your spiritual life is about this shallow, and what you don't know is next year or two years or ten years from now, you're going to need to be this deep. So we're going to begin working on that in your life. In Psalm, turn there if you would, the book of Psalms, in Psalm number 13, we don't know when this psalm was written, but we do know that David wrote it. We can speculate a lot about when it was written, but it's all speculation. One thing we do know that David's life was filled with hecticness, with chaos, with attacks of the enemy. No one would say that David, even though he was king of Israel, had an easy life. God blessed him. God cared for him. But his life was not easy. And somewhere in the process of David's life, he wrote words that I believe other believers have in their own lives. In Psalm 13, he writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I'm moved. We look at these words and we understand here's a guy that's going through some pretty deep stuff in his life and he's being very honest. He's being very forthright. He knows that God is there. He understands the power and the might of God. He's calling out to God. He hasn't rejected God and run the other way. No, in the midst of this thing, he still falls forward. And he falls forward into the arms of God, crying out to him. But at the same time, we know, man, it is a struggle in his life. But the great thing is, we read more of the answer in verse 5. He says, but I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Sometimes there will come times in your life that God just needs to strengthen you. And in the midst of that, continue to seek his face. Continue to cry out to him. His mercy comes. Sometimes, though, the trial that we're involved in is brought there by the enemy, that the enemy is trying to destroy you. The enemy of our souls is bringing something into your life to trip you up and to cause you real strife in your life. We see that, I believe, in the life of Joseph. And in Joseph's life, all of his life, so many troubles, so much turmoil. But yet through all of those things that the enemy brought against him, God turned those things for good. In Genesis chapter 50, we read near the end of this time, Joseph is standing before his brothers, and he's very honest with his brothers. In Genesis 50 verse 20, when he says to them, But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Guys, everything that's going on in your life is not necessarily good. The events that happen in our lives that are horrendous, and we say, Lord, this is bad. Things that even the enemy will bring into your life. But then we have the promise of the Word of God, don't we? The promise of the Word of God from Romans eight twenty eight, where he says, All things work together for good. Not that all things are good, but that God will take all things in your life and he will work it around to good. But it is with this requirement to those that love God, to those that are the called according to his purpose. So even when the enemy comes, God can take the worst of situations and turn that around for good. The last thing real quickly, in Psalm 32, again we go back to King David and his life. Perhaps a trial or an event that's going on in your life is because there's unconfessed sin in your life. Maybe there's unforgiveness, maybe there's anger, maybe there's disobedience or some other issue that's blocking the peace of God in your life. We understand in David's life that the sin that he had with Bathsheba, that he tried to keep it quiet. The fact that he sent Uriah out to his death He tried to keep that quiet and under wraps, but God wouldn't allow it to keep quiet. But during that time of his rejection and his refusal to confess his sin, we read these words as David writes in Psalm 32, beginning in verse 3. He says, When I kept quiet, My bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Here in this psalm. David declares the fact that I tried to keep quiet. I tried, I tried to just ignore the fact that this was going on in my life. And with that, this draining came. There was no peace in his life. There was no power of the presence of God in his life. But then when he confessed his sin, that's when he realized once again that peace, that presence, that power of God. It's the same psalm that down in verse 7, David speaks about the fact that God is his hiding place. God is the one who preserves him from trouble and surrounds him with songs of deliverance. When Jesus promised peace, unlike what the world could give, he made a promise that only he could keep. And beloved, he's more than able to complete that promise in your life for true peace. His peace comes to us as we open our lives to His power and to His presence, as we keep our hearts and our minds focused on Him. How is He able to bring that peace? How is He able to again give us that hope? We read in Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They've come to salvation, is what he's saying. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. Oh, they rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the days of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. Why? Because unto us, a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace and of the increase of his government and of his peace There will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. As we continue looking over these next few weeks, the anticipation of the celebration of the birth of our Savior, the gift of God to all mankind. My hope and my prayer for all of us together is that our eyes would become more and more focused on Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith.
0: On behalf of Pastor David Landry and the entire production team here at the Open Word, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This has been a special edition of the Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. And again, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.